0: So, you've ruined your kids. Yeah. We got a lot of kids visiting with us this morning. Don't make eye contact with your parents at any point over the next 25 minutes, okay? This is going to be hard. I think if we're honest about it, all of us as, as parents have thought at least once or twice, man, we have ruined, I have ruined my kids That's why the title of the sermon is what it is today. Now, some of you are like, well, that doesn't apply to me. My kids are still really little. Okay, so the sermon title for you is, So You're Ruining Your Kids. And some of you are like, we don't even have kids yet. I'm not even married. Well, if you're going to have kids, the sermon title for you this morning is, So You Will Ruin Your Kids. Okay, I think all of us in some way At least once or twice have felt this because let's face it, parenting is hard. Can I get an amen? It's difficult, it's stressful. Parenting is the only job in the world that requires no previous experience, it provides no training. People's lives are literally at stake, and you can't quit. That's heavy. And nobody really knows how to do this. You know, you have a kid and you spend the first 12 to 18 months of this kid's life trying to teach him how to walk and talk, and then you spend the next 20 years telling him to sit down and shut up. It just doesn't make any sense. Some people say, I've heard this, we're going to wait until we're ready to have children. Ha! I got news for you. You're never ready. Can I get an amen on that? There are some things about parenting you can never know until after you've had kids. You have no idea how expensive children are. And until you have kids, you can never understand how it is possible to ruin someone's entire life just by asking them to put on some pants. (laughs) With parenting, there's a lot more yelling at people from the bathroom than you would think. And all the parenting horror stories that begin with the same phrase. I just stepped away for like two seconds. Some kids threaten to run away from home. That's the only thing that keeps a lot of parents going. You know, please, would you? I'm begging you. I won't look. Just go. All parents, I think, feel overwhelmed. We're we're not as equipped. We're not as confident as we'd like to be. We all believe in ways big and small. That maybe in some ways we've ruined our kids. These gifts from God. That's what children are. They're gifts from God. Psalm 127 says Sons and daughters are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. Gifts from God. Okay, but what do we do with them? Because it's not science. Parenting is much more art than it is science, but a lot of the advice we get, a lot of the counsel we receive, whether it's from our families or from our church or from the outside world amounts to mainly technique, strategies, here's how you install a car seat properly, here's how you potty train your children, here's how you set up boundaries for their phones and dating and all of that is very important, all of that is needed, all of that is good. But kids are not operating systems where you just have to know the right codes and punch them in. When do you put your foot down and when do you let up? I don't know. I messed that up nearly every single time. One of the best, by, are y'all not laughing because because this was really hitting home or is it just not funny? I thought that was a good line. If all three of my daughters were here, they would have amen. One of the best passages for parenting is in 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20, the people of Judah are facing this massive army from a foreign power, and they're going to ride into town, and they're going to destroy everybody. And so Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, stands up in the middle of all the people, it says. All the men of Judah, it says, with their wives and children and little ones. And Jehoshaphat doesn't stand up and say, hey guys, we got this. We can handle this. We can take care of this. That's not what he says. He prays to the Lord. Verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? And then he tells God all this bad stuff that's coming, all these awful things that are about to happen. In verse 12, he says, O our God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, our children are not a marauding army threatening to destroy us. They could, maybe. They outnumber us, and they are fierce. But this passage, I think, still says something to us about parenting. No matter how many books and blogs we read, no matter how many podcasts we listen to, no matter how many classes we attend, or how many godly examples we follow, every parent reaches a point of despair, and powerlessness. Things are awful. I am messing this up. I don't know what to do. Knowing that and turning to the love of God and to the cross of Christ, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, Lord. That's where we lose our guilt. That's where we lose our anxiety. And that's where we receive God's grace and mercy and hope. For our children and for us, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy six. We're going to spend most of our time here this morning, Deuteronomy chapter six. And I want to give you five things this morning that are they're really kind of top of mind for me right now. Five things about parenting. Um, I'm not giving you these five because I'm perfect at these. In fact, there's a couple of these I'm terrible at, and still am. But I do believe that these five things are biblical and theological. I think they're Christ-centered and kingdom of God-focused. And so I'm, I'm going to give them to you. These are from me. And I pray that these will be a blessing to you and some kind of a help. Okay? Deuteronomy 6. Everybody tracking? I feel like we're kind of down this morning. Is it me or is it you? Who is it? Okay. It's not me. Look at me. Come on. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know who that is over there. Thank you. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 6. This is the Word of God, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen. All right, five things. Here's the first one. Consistent discipline. Okay? And when we say discipline, we're not just talking about punishment or corrective stuff, okay? You know, you talk about parenting, and as soon as anybody says the word discipline, people freak out, you know? Why would you say discipline? Why is that the first thing out of your mouth? Why are you so focused on discipline? What about love and nurture and, and admonition? Okay, listen, love, nurture, and admonition, that's discipline. All those things are discipline. Hugging your child is a discipline, Saying, I love you, is a discipline. Reading the bedtime story is a discipline. And you might say, well, no, it's natural for me because I love my kids. That may be true, I hope it is, but you gotta admit, you're not one to do those things 24-7 around the clock every single night. Some night, you're exhausted. Some nights, you just wanna go to bed. But you still sing, Jesus loves me, And say your prayers with your son before he goes to sleep. That's not just showing love to him in that moment. That's discipline. That's building practices and rhythms that over a long period of time will show your child that she is deeply loved. And how to love others. Maybe it's really easy for you to say, I love you to your spouse or to your parents when you get off the phone with them at the end of a conversation. You know, I love you, bye. Maybe that's easy for you to say. But that's only because you've been practicing it for years and years and years. And it just becomes your nature, it becomes your habit. That's discipline. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you go to bed, when you wake up, it's consistent training and discipline. Teaching the Bible to your kids is discipline. Modeling how to pray for your children takes discipline. Singing songs together, daily and weekly chores, driver's education That's discipline, right? Worshiping and serving together with your church, showing your teenager how to apply for a job. And yeah, correcting the behaviors that don't fit in with our family or with a lifestyle of following Jesus. That's consistent discipline. And then here's the second one. Independent affirmation. A lot of us are living through our kids, And we push our kids into certain sports and certain academic pursuits. We push our kids towards different careers or hobbies and even religious activities. Either because we missed out and my kids can help me make up for it. Or they can achieve maybe what I never had the opportunity to achieve. Or we push our kids into this thing so we can keep what we once achieved alive. We can keep our legacy alive through our children. And if we're not careful, we can feed our own identity through our kids, where their success is our success. When they do something well, it makes me look good, or at least it makes me feel good. Hey, they don't need that pressure, they don't need that stress. And if you're finding your own sense of identity or worth in what your children do and how well they do it, you're going to be horribly disappointed. They're not you. Your children have their own identities. It took me a while to figure this out. Our father made them and formed them with their own unique talents and skills and gifts to bring him glory. And as parents, we need to honor that. We need to take the time to explore those things with our kids and look for those gifts and affirm them independently of what they do for us. Think about the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you, as a parent, sacrifice and serve your children by saying to them, who are you? To really Know them and their talents and their passions. How did God gift you? The love of a parent is really clear to them and to everybody else when you make the effort to really affirm the gifts and the callings of your child. Even when, maybe especially when, their gifts and their callings and their interests are different from yours. Think about how many times in Jesus' life when God said to him out loud from heaven, you are my son, I love you. I am very pleased with you. That's the model. And again, I confess, I figured this out late. But here's a trick that helped me and I'm gonna share it with you, okay? Just take this for what it is. This still helps me. Even after they grow up and get married, this still helps me. Instead of telling our daughters, I'm proud of you, it's just one word. I changed it. I admire you. That's what I say. Instead of I'm proud of you, I say I admire you. I admire this about you. I don't want them to hear me say I'm proud of you as you make me happy or you make me feel good because you're doing something I always wanted you to do. I'm proud of you. You're doing something that makes me feel good. You're doing that the way I always wanted you to do it. No, I want to say, I admire this about you. I see this in you and I love it. I see what God has given you and how you're using it. And I admire that about you. So independent affirmation and then confident trust. You know, we try very hard to protect and even overprotect our children. We try to shelter them. We can't see their futures. We don't know what kind of world or what kind of school or what kind of marriage or or health or career. We don't know any of these things about our kids and we don't want them to get hurt. We don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to be sad. We don't want them to be upset. And I wanna be sensitive here and diplomatic, but that's horse-pucky. It is. Jesus says, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But praise God, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This world ain't Disneyland. It's a boot camp. We are people of the cross, right? And we're not doing our kids any favors by staying in constant contact with them, by texting and calling and messaging with them every day from morning till night. We're not helping them by setting up shields and nets around them and constantly riding into their rescue so they never experience pain or failure or loss. Sometimes they need to figure stuff out on their own. Sometimes they need to learn how to fix a problem. Sometimes they need to suffer the consequences of their poor choices. How else will they learn? How else will they grow? They sense that we're afraid, and that makes them afraid, and that is not good. We used to tell our girls, I used to tell our girls, we were never afraid of anybody kidnapping them because we knew whoever took them would bring them back immediately, (laughs) like in less than 15 minutes. You'll be back. That's a joke, right? Mostly. And of course, I'm not talking about throwing our children to the wolves, But this continuous hovering and protecting and sheltering and our 24-7 connection with the phones, that's doing more harm than good. Our kids are not growing up. Talk to any college professor. Talk to any HR person who is interviewing job applicants today. We need to demonstrate a confident trust that our God is taking care of our kids and we're not afraid. We need to instill that confident trust in our kids. Listen, God gives us his spirit. God also gives us his promises. Deuteronomy chapter 6 right here. It says, you are crossing the Jordan into the new land just as the Lord, the God of your fathers promised you. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he promised. There is no fear in the Bible. No anxiety Just trust, confident trust. Now, let's consider appropriate authority. I have heard some parenting experts say that if your child is throwing a temper tantrum, don't punish your child, don't discipline your child. A child throwing a temper tantrum is trying to tell you he needs understanding and communication. That's what a temper tantrum is about understanding, and communication. So if you're in a grocery store and your child is screaming and throwing things because you won't buy him the cupcake, then the parenting experts say, don't punish your child, don't discipline your child. You need to get down on a knee, get down on eye level with your child, hold his little hand in your hand and rub it and look him directly in the eyes and say, you just want a cupcake. You just want a cupcake. You just want a cupcake. That way the child knows that you hear him and that you understand him. Now, I'm no parenting expert, but it seems to me the behavior you tolerate when they're little will grow into something enormous. So that 15 years later, you're looking your child in the eye and going, you just robbed a liquor store. You just robbed a liquor store. You just robbed a liquor store. Am I, I, that's how I feel about this. I I really believe this is biblical as well because Deuteronomy 6 makes it very clear that you have God-given authority over your children. These commands I give you, impress them on your children. Train up a child in the way he should go. Ephesians chapter 6. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Or bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Appropriate authority is understanding that the child's moral and spiritual formation is your responsibility as a parent. It's on you. But authority is not power, okay? Don't confuse the two. Authority is not power. Earlier in that verse, Ephesians 6, 4, it says, do not exasperate your children. Authority and power are not the same thing. If a guy points a loaded gun at your head, I didn't mean to point that at you, Justin, I'm sorry, anybody. If a guy points a loaded gun at your head, and he says, you're going to do this, or you're going to give me that, or I'm going to shoot you, you're going to obey, that doesn't mean that guy has any authority over you. It just means he has the raw power in his hand to make you comply. Authority and power are two completely different things. Authority comes out of sacrifice and service, not power. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, and then he proved it by dying for us on the cross. Your authority as a parent is not in that you're bigger than they are or stronger or more powerful or older than they are or because you've got the title mom or dad. Your authority comes from your sacrificial love for your children. It's in your heart for them and for your deep desire for them to see them grow up and bring glory to God. You have that authority. It's been given to you by the Lord and you should exercise it appropriately. All right, here's the last thing. A big picture perspective. Man, I struggled with how to say this. I'm gonna ask for grace ahead of time. This is coming from a heart for you and for all of our kids, okay? I'm gonna say it. I want you to take it and pray about it. Your children are not the most important thing in your life. They're not. Your whole world cannot revolve around your kids. They can't be the center of your universe. You cannot compromise your commitments to your spouse in time or energy or affection because of your kids. You can't neglect the commitments you've made to the Lord and to his church because of your kids' interests or pursuits. Your kids can't come first. Your life cannot revolve around their schedules and what they sign up for and what they want to do. Parents need to operate out of a big picture kingdom of God perspective. And their children need to understand it too. Your children need to see you serving and caring for others in the name of Jesus. Your children need to learn from you that you and they belong together to the church of God. Your kids need to see you singing in worship. Your kids need to see you serving others in your small group. Your kids need to see you investing your time and your talent and money into God's people and God's mission. Our lives as Christians and children of God, our lives revolve around our commitments to Christ. Deuteronomy 6, again, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the big picture perspective of a godly parent where the Lord comes first, not your kids. Okay, now, I feel like all those things are really important and impossibly difficult. How are you going to do all that? How are you going to do any of it? Well, just like you, just like me, just like our parents, just like every single parent who's going to come up behind us in the history of the world, you're going to fail here and there. You're going to mess some things up. Some of you, a lot of you, your kids are already grown And maybe for some of you, your kids did not turn out the way you hoped. Maybe your kids didn't turn out the way you planned and the way you prayed, and they're not in a good place. Maybe one or more of your grown kids is not in a good place with their own spouse or their own family. Maybe they're not in a good place financially or with their health or with their career. Maybe they're not in a good place with our Lord. And you know you did the very best you could. You tried as hard as you could to raise him, right? You did every single thing possible to raise her, right? But the more you look back, maybe the more you see where you could have done a couple of things differently. The more you study it and think about it and pray about it, maybe you see one or two things you should have done differently. And you realize your mistakes, and you see where you messed up. Maybe there's some guilt there. Maybe there's some shame or regrets. How did she wind up like this? How did he turn out this way? Sometimes maybe maybe you feel like you were a bad parent. Listen to me. Hear this. God, through Jesus Christ at the cross, redeems and restores and takes care of all of that. All of it at the cross. Here's what I'm not telling you, okay? I'm not telling you, no, 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 you were a great dad. You were a great father. I'm sure everything's fine. I'm not telling you that. Because you would rationalize back to me. You would say, well, you don't know the full story. You're right. I don't. I'm also not telling you, oh, those mistakes you made or how you messed that up. That really doesn't have any impact on your kids. No, I'm not telling you that because you wouldn't believe me. What I'm trying to do is point you to the cross. The Lord can redeem your parenting story by joining it to the forgiveness and the restoration of the cross. I don't want to assure you of your performance as a parent. I want to give you something better. I want to give you a word of grace this morning. In Matthew 7, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, listen to our Lord Jesus. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, though you make mistakes, Though you fail from time to time, though sometimes you feel completely in over your head, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? How much more? Listen, you know, I know you know. In all of your sins, all of your failures, all your mistakes and shortcomings, you know what's best for your kids. How much more? Does your father in heaven know exactly what you need and what your children need and how to give it to you in buckets? So whatever absence, whatever neglect, whatever harshness and abuse maybe, whatever whatever character traits maybe you've passed on to your kids, whatever harmful habits or practices maybe they picked up from you, whatever parenting sins you have, real or imagined, All of that is dealt with and forgiven by God in Christ at the cross. Maybe you've got a prodigal son or a lost daughter. Or or maybe your whole family's intact and everybody loves everybody, but you do have that one child who never fully received the Christian faith. And that's hard. Or maybe your grown child is outwardly resentful and hateful toward you. Maybe he or she is involved in dangerous or destructive behaviors. That's horrible. And and again, how did this happen? Where did I go wrong? Listen, here's, here's the word of grace I want you to hear this morning. You are not just dealing with a prodigal child. Our God is dealing with a prodigal universe. Sin and rebellion against God, it's universal. It's in the entire stream of the whole human race. Raising children is not the same as raising cattle or programming code into a computer. It's not always cause and effect like that. Do you hear me? It's not always black and white. It's not always straight input-output. People rebel against what they've been taught. Grown people turn their backs on God and on the people who love them most. And we don't always know how or why things go foul, but here's what we do know. Two things. Here's what we know for sure. Our God is the perfect father and he knows how you feel. He too agonizes over his rebellious children who are not in a great place. He's not distant from that. He suffers and dies on a cross for us, with us. Our kids belong to the Lord, not to us. And how much more our Father in heaven. John Stott used to talk about the great temples in Asia where he would see the statues of Buddha. You know what Buddha looks like? Placid, remote looking, arms closed, eyes closed. Softly smiling, kind of distant. And in Stott's mind and in his heart, he said he turned away from that and he looked instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated and bleeding, limbs wrenched, brow pierced with thorns, mouth intolerably dry and thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. Church... That's our God. He is not distant from your pain. He's crucified by it, crucified in it. He's crucified with it and with you. And we also know this, God's Holy Spirit can convict anyone at any time and can bring anyone to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Even after years and decades of running The Holy Spirit blows where He will. We can't control Him. We can't track Him. All we can do is watch the leaves flutter as He goes by. God's got this. Trust Him to forgive you by his love and to take care of your child by his grace. I would say keep loving your grown children as best as you can. Keep all those connections open so our prodigals know how to get home and they'll know that when they get there, you'll be in the road to meet them and you're gonna throw a massive homecoming Thanksgiving feast. God wants them saved and restored more than you do. How much more? Amen? Parenting is like the cross. Unconditional love, sacrificial service, terrible pain, and unsurpassed glory. We bless our children by parenting by the cross. We don't weigh them down with expectations or burdens that none of us could ever bear ourselves. We keep our promises as best we can. We forgive them and we forgive ourselves. And we, all of us together, we have a future and a hope. And it's tied up in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our plans may evaporate, church. Our dreams may get crushed. And maybe you're not as consistent with the discipline. Maybe you're not as committed to the priorities Maybe sometimes you're too harsh and other times you're too lenient. But our God's love and grace for his people never, ever stops. His mercies never cease and his promises never fail. And so we have babies and we parent our children and we trust our God. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. From Hebrews chapter 2. Both the one who makes us holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Verse 13, the Lord Jesus says, here am I and the children God has given me. Amen. Let's sing.